0: Good morning, church. If you have your copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're taking a week out of our series in John in order to consider some biblical teaching on the role of elders in the life of the local church. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, as you're turning there, you like the pulpit? I I like it. Uh, Chris and Ray and Jack worked on this. It's been completely refinished, so you should come look at it. If you want to hear way too much on why pulpits matter, you can talk to me or Craig Humphrey after church. 1 <laughs> Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, is our text this morning. and I hope you turn there and follow along with me as we read from God's Word. This is what the Holy Spirit Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord given to us. For our good. Let's pray together as we consider God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. You are a God who has revealed Himself. You have revealed yourself most fully and clearly in Jesus Christ, in whose name we have gathered. And you have revealed yourself, Father, in your word written for us in the Old and New Testaments, inspired and preserved for our good. We pray, Father, that we would be humble before your word today. We pray for the Holy Spirit's illumination. I pray, God, that you would please keep me from error. Help me to be faithful to the Scriptures. Help our church to be one that has biblical discernment, God, that we would hold fast to the things that are true and though be saved, and so be saved on the final day. We ask for your grace now, Father, confident that you hear us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Last year Christianity Today began running a podcast series that examined the collapse of one of the larger churches in America. You may have listened to some of the series. This particular church in the in the podcast series began in the 1990s and it grew rapidly through the early 2000s, but then almost overnight it collapsed. And so, this this podcast is asking questions how and, and why did that happen? And as the episodes unfold, there are numerous answers put forth as reasons why this church imploded. Some of the answers are more insightful than others too much growth, too fast, not enough character in those who were leading the church a growing emphasis on brand over discipleship, an obsession with numbers rather than godliness. All of those are fair points. All of those are fair points. But as I listened to the series, there was one moment that really grabbed my attention, one, one moment that for me contributed to the stunning collapse of this very large church. And that moment had to do with church elders of all things before the tumult of of this particular church's final years their leadership changed they added a kind of executive board that was not made up of elders or pastors and what this did was push the church deeper into a business mentality What it did was it pushed the leadership further away from a mindset of shepherding and further into the mindset of we're we're CEOs, we're executives who make decisions. And perhaps most important, this change at this particular church caused them to be more dependent on just one leader, just one guy, just one personality. Now, would a biblically defined body of elders have prevented all of those challenges that dogged this particular church? Probably not. But a biblically defined body of elders would have ensured that this particular church had godly local leadership where where elders, not executives, are shepherding the flock of God. Where pastors, not CEOs, are pressing into the spiritual well-being of the church. Elders made a difference, in other words. Why do I tell you that story this morning? Because, friends, it illustrates both the importance and the wisdom of building a godly plurality of elders within the local church. The story illustrates the importance of having pastors. In fact, I'm going to give you my conviction on this subject right from the start. Along with expository preaching, a plurality of elders is absolutely essential for the life, health, and growth of a church. Expository preaching ensures that God's Word sets the agenda for our life and worship as we preach through books of the Bible, letting the point of a passage be the point of our message And a plurality of elders ensures that a church is not dependent solely on one leader, but instead benefits from the wisdom of multiple godly men. Expository preaching, plurality of elders, those things are not guarantees that you're going to have a healthy church, but those practices are essential. They are essential. Show me a church committed to expository preaching and a plurality of elders, and I will show you a church that is set up to be healthy and to grow. And that means today is an important day in the life of our church. Last week, our congregation voted unanimously to affirm two new elders. And at the end of our service today, we're going to pray for those brothers as we install them in office. By God's grace then, we are pursuing what makes for a healthy church. We are committed to following these biblically essential practices. We should praise God for that. But the reality is that important things can fade over time in our understanding. This is human nature on some level. We tend to take the most important things for granted. And that can happen in a church as well. Fisherville adopted a a plurality of elders several years ago. But it's good to be reminded why the congregation adopted this form of church leadership. It's good to be reminded why this kind of leadership is both biblical and wise. So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at 1 Peter 5 in order to remind us of what an elder's role is in the life of a local church. For some of us, this sermon is going to be just that, a reminder. It's a refresher on things that we already believe, on convictions that we already hold, perhaps quite deeply. But for some of us, this may provide a little bit of a new perspective on what an elder, what a pastor, is supposed to do in a local church. And that's a good clarification to establish here at the outset. I will use the words pastor and elder interchangeably this morning because biblically those words are synonymous. Elders are pastors and pastors are elders. Titus chapter 1 and Acts chapter 20 are good examples of this. To be an elder is to serve as a pastor in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some elders may get their compensation from the church, while others may just serve in a lay capacity, but at the end of the day, both categories are pastors. So I'm going to use those terms interchangeably. Elder, and pastor. So that's our aim this morning. We're going to remind ourselves of what elders are called to do in a local church. In terms of an outline then, the message is built around five words. Five words with each one representing a summary point on church elders. Let me give you the words in advance just to help you as you listen. The five words are this. Plurality. Authority. Authority. Responsibility, accountability, and humility. Plurality, authority, responsibility, accountability, humility. Let's look at the text now and remind ourselves of how an elder is supposed to function in the life of the church. Reminder number one, a local church is best served by a plurality of elders. A local church is best served by a plurality of elders. Of elders. If you know the context of 1st Peter, then you know that the apostle writes to churches in Asia Minor that are experiencing persecution. You heard Luke read about that earlier in the service. In fact, in the previous paragraph before our passage, Peter exhorted the members of the church to endure suffering by entrusting themselves to their faithful Creator while doing good. In other words, Peter is saying persecution and hardship will come. It's not a question of if, but when. But that's, it's not unusual for the church to suffer. We entrust ourselves to God, believing that He will sustain us through whatever trial comes our way, even pandemics. But as you come to chapter 5, Peter focuses specifically on the elders of these churches. You see it in verse 1. He says, I exhort the elders as a fellow elder. The pastors, too, are going to endure hardship. But even then, the, the elders should take encouragement that they do not, do not face hardship alone. This is a simple observation, but it's, important. it's an important one. In verse 1, Peter refers to elders in plural. You see it? In plural. That is, there's not one elder or one pastor. There is a body of elders serving together, leading the church to remain faithful to Christ. Indeed, when you zoom out from 1 Peter 5 and you look across the whole New Testament, you see that this is the biblical pattern, a plurality of elders within an individual church. Take, for example, Philippians chapter 1, where Paul writes to the elders, plural, of the church, singular, at Philippi. Or Acts chapter 20, that I mentioned earlier, when Paul summons the elders, plural, plural, Of the church singular at Ephesus. Or Acts chapter 14, when Paul appoints elders plural in the individual churches in Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. So the biblical pattern is rather clear, and it's affirmed here in verse 1 of our passage a local church is best served by a plurality of elders or pastors. Now, key question. Why is this the case? Why is it true that churches are best served by a plurality? We see the pattern, but what benefit does it add to the church? Well, there are at least two clear benefits for a local church to have a plurality of pastors. The first is a plurality of elders is just practically necessary. There's practical wisdom here. It's practically necessary. As we're going to see this morning, the work of shepherding is more than any one pastor can handle. There are numerous needs in a congregation that when taken together would overwhelm a single elder. What's more, a plurality of pastors provides for continuity of leadership. If something were to ever happen to one of the pastors in the church... If there's a plurality, the church is not left in a lurch, so to speak. A plurality of elders ensures that leadership can carry on and that the burden is spread out over many shoulders. So it's just practically necessary for there to be a plurality. At the same time, a a plurality of elders is also spiritually wise. It's spiritually wise. No single leader possesses all the insight necessary to lead a church. No single pastor is gifted enough for the teaching and oversight of an entire congregation. No pastor is wise enough on his own to answer every problem that comes up in the life of a local church. The Bible itself declares that there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors, Proverbs fifteen twenty two. So it's just spiritually wise. For a church to have multiple pastors. And part of that wisdom, friends, is for the church's protection. It's for the church's protection. A plurality of pastors protects the church from wayward or heavy-handed leaders. In a biblical plurality, no single pastor can ramrod his agenda. The elders as a whole, as a whole group, as a body are providing leadership. It's not a one-man show, in other words. For those reasons, then, a plurality of elders is spiritually wise for a local church. And friends, this helps you know how to pray for those who serve as elders here at our church. Pray for us. That our plurality would meet the practical needs of leadership, But also that our plurality would serve the spiritual health of the congregation. That wisdom would flourish through a multitude of counselors. So that's reminder number one. A local church is best served by a plurality of elders. Reminder number two. Elders are entrusted with authority to lead the church. Elders are entrusted with authority to lead the church. I want you to see this from the text of the Bible because I want you to be convinced of this by the Scriptures and not by anything else. So look at verse 2. Verse 2 is an elder's job description in summary. Peter exhorts the elders to shepherd the flock of God. The command to shepherd captures the essence of pastoring. It means to keep watch over the members of the church. Just as a shepherd took care to guard and nourish his flock, so also an elder takes care to guard and nourish the spiritual well being of the church. And this work of shepherding involves oversight. Again, look at the text. Notice the language in verse 2. Peter says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That's a command, it's an imperative. How do you do that? How do you shepherd? Look at the next phrase. Shepherd the flock of God by exercising oversight. Oversight here means taking responsibility for the well being of others. It requires vigilance against threats, just as a shepherd would watch out for wolves. It requires guidance, just as a shepherd would guide his flock to the best pasture. It requires nurture through teaching just as a shepherd would ensure that his sheep get enough food in order to be healthy. Friends, that's oversight. Vigilance, guidance, nurture. That's how shepherding is carried out practically through exercising oversight within the church. Now, let's just ask the natural question, what does this look like in the real world? I see it in the text of the Bible. I see the commands. I understand the connection. But what does it look like in practice, for the elders to lead with authority in this way? That's a huge question. I don't want to give you as clear of an answer as I can in the time that we have. And so let me give you just three words that I think flesh out what it means to have oversight. Oversight for a pastor, for a plurality of elders, oversight shows up in three areas. Doctrine, discipleship, and direction. Direction. Doctrine, discipleship, and direction. Doctrine is the teaching life of the church. This is an elder's primary job to feed the church with sound biblical teaching and to ensure that sound doctrine is maintained from the pulpit all the way down to the nursery. We need to remember, friends, that a church's spiritual health is tied to its embrace of sound doctrine. I love to think about the church gathered as a family around the dinner table. How do you keep that family healthy and well-nourished? You feed them sound doctrine. And that's an elder's primary job. Teaching, nurturing the church through doctrine is the front line of shepherding. It's upholding and promoting and teaching sound doctrine. This is one of the reasons why I love my role here at Fisherville. Laura and I went out on a date last night because Steve and Laura Sweden went and hung out with our boys. So we went out on a date and we were uh, eating at a restaurant and we were both just commenting on how much we enjoy it here. Thank you. (laughs) One of the things that I love about my role here at Fisherville, is that the emphasis is on this point, teaching. This is what you have called me here to do. My job title is Preaching Elder. I don't really get hung up on job titles all that much, but I like this title, Preaching Elder. Why did we pick such a specific, narrow job title? Because this is ground zero for shepherding, to preach biblical truth, to uphold sound doctrine. So that the church maintains her spiritual health. That's what oversight means, brothers and sisters. It means overseeing the doctrine in the church. Shepherding also requires oversight of discipleship. Oversight of discipleship. Elders should be the lead examples in making disciples. In leading people to obey Jesus by faith day in and day out. The elders should be the lead example of that. We need to be prioritized from our elder board to our staff to our ministries. What are we doing? We're focusing on disciple making. So we're supposed to be the lead examples in that. But at the same time, elders are supposed to be equipping you to be disciple makers. Equipping you to do the work of the ministry. Ephesians chapter 4 is so important here in the life of a local church. God has given to His church gifts that include pastors and elders. What do those elders do? They equip the saints for the work of the ministry, Ephesians chapter 4. In other words, pastors don't do all of the ministry themselves. They equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. They equip the members to be disciple-makers so that we have not just a program of discipleship, but a whole culture of discipleship at our church. That's the elder's job. To take the lead in making disciples. And I want to just pause here for a moment and make a connection between discipleship and and church membership. A church's membership role is an expression of, of that church's discipleship. Have you ever thought about it that way? A church's membership role is an expression of discipleship. And therefore, membership is a main area for pastoral oversight. It's a main area for shepherding. The elders take the lead in shepherding a church's membership. That means as much as we are able, the elders ensure that those who are received as members are truly born again that they know Christ by faith and have followed Him in baptism. It also means that the elders work hard to ensure that our membership does not devolve to be simply a list of names on a piece of paper, but rather that our membership is active and engaged and meaningful because membership, even down to who's on your role. Membership is an expression of a church's discipleship. And so the elders take the lead in this area of the church's life. It also means that when people move on from the church, we help them connect with other local churches so that they can move their membership from here to there, and no sheep are lost in the hinterlands of unchurched world. That we're all working together here with the elders taking the lead. Why is any of that important? Because membership is connected to discipleship, and discipleship is an area where the elders must exercise oversight. Doctrine, discipleship, last one, direction. Oversight involves direction. I'll be honest with you. I think the term vision casting is overrated in the local church. The Bible gives us our vision to glorify God. And the Bible gives us our mission, too, to make disciples through evangelism, teaching, worship, and missions. So I'm not sure how much vision casting we need in the church. That being said, a church does need direction. A church does need guidance on what will be our priorities. Where will we devote our effort and our resources? And how will we remain faithful to the Great Commission? A church does need direction and by God's design in the Bible the elders ought to provide that direction i love the image that one pastor uses of this dynamic of the elders leadership if you envision the body of elders if you envision the church like a like an automobile like a car what role do the elders play in that car they're the steering wheel they set the course they determine the direction that the church is going to go That doesn't mean that the congregation has no role in that. I want you to hear me clearly on that. Every car has a good set of brakes. (laughs) So the elders can set the direction, and the congregation prayerfully either affirms that direction or not. The elders turn the wheel, the congregation can pump the brakes. Everyone working together. The elders initiate, and the congregation affirms and follows. This is how the elders and the members work together For the glory of God. So taken together, these are the primary areas where shepherding and oversight are demonstrated. Doctrine, discipleship, and direction. That's part of what verse 2 reminds us. Elders are entrusted with authority to lead the church. Reminder number three. This is the necessary counter to number two. Reminder number three. Elders have the responsibility to lead with godliness. Elders have the responsibility to lead with godliness. If you read the New Testament qualifications for an elder, they are overwhelmingly focused on character. The one job task that an elder has to be able to do is teach. The rest of the qualifications are be godly. So it's an overwhelming emphasis on character. And you see that emphasis in our passage. At the end of verse 2 and into verse 3... Peter describes three attitudes that have to mark an elder's leadership. Let's look at each one just briefly. Three attitudes. First of all, elders ought to exhibit glad-hearted service. Look at verse 2, where Peter says, Elders are to shepherd not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Friends, the idea is to serve from a glad heart. To serve from a glad heart. No one is twisting the pastor's arm. And he doesn't walk around the church with a sense of drudgery or dread. A faithful shepherd is a willing shepherd. Now, that doesn't mean that every day in the ministry is the most joyful day ever. Some days are hard. Ask any pastor who has served a church in the last 20 months and you're going to hear some stories. Doesn't mean every day is the most joyous experience ever, but it does mean that every day is an opportunity to serve the risen Lord Jesus, and therefore a pastor embraces every day with a glad-hearted willingness. As difficult as it as it is, I can't believe that I get to do this for my daily work preach and teach the Bible. Not under compulsion, but willingly. So again, just a practical way that you can pray for us. Pray, please pray, that the elders of our church would maintain their joy in serving Christ. That we would maintain our joy. Pray that God would keep us willing and glad-hearted to shepherd people. So elders ought to exhibit glad-hearted service. Elders also ought to exhibit selfless service. Selfless. Notice the final phrase, verse 2. Shepherd not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Listen, there is a way of going about ministry that turns people into a means of serving yourself. And that's precisely what Peter warns against in verse 2. Pastoral ministry is not a platform for personal advancement. Rather, Pastoral ministry is a call to die every day to your needs and live for the needs of others. It's a call to prefer other people over yourself. It's a call to make other people's spiritual well-being your responsibility. Now, on some level, that's every church member's job, is to consider others as more important than ourselves. That's every church member's job. That's part of what it means to be a member of a church. But within the church, the elders take the lead in that attitude. A pastor must never serve for the sake of what he can get from his office, whether it's money, prestige, or notoriety. He never serves for what he can get. He's always serving for the sake of others to the glory of Christ. So elders ought to exhibit selfless service. Glad-hearted service, selfless service. Verse 3 completes the picture. Elders ought to exhibit exemplary service. Listen again to the responsibility of a pastor in verse 3. How should he exercise his authority? Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So, There is no place in the local church for a heavy-handed pastor who views people simply as pawns that he can order around. That view has no place in the local church. That's not shepherding. That's domineering. That's worldly leadership. And it's precisely what Jesus warned his own disciples against. Lording it over other people. Rather, a pastor uses his God-given authority in order to set the example for how believers ought to live in the world. To shepherd on some level is to lead by example. Of course, there are times when pastors have to make hard decisions. And of course, there are times when people are going to disagree with the direction that the elders set. Those times are going to come. They're not an if, but a when. That's going to happen. But there's never a time when the elders can respond to that in a way that is less than exemplary. Even when there's opposition, a faithful pastor sets the example so that in all seasons he can say, follow me as I follow Christ. Elders ought to exhibit exemplary service. Glad-hearted, selfless, exemplary. Church, I hope you see how those two reminders go hand in hand. Do the elders have authority to lead the church? Yes, absolutely. It's in the Bible. Right there, it's clear. But does that authority mean that they can carry out their leadership however they want? No. With that authority comes the responsibility to lead with godliness. Godliness. That brings us to reminder number four. Number four. Elders embrace their accountability to the chief shepherd. Elders embrace their accountability to the chief shepherd. In, in my time pastoring, there's not another verse in the New Testament that I have thought about more often than verse 4. It is like a beacon shining over every day that you walk into the office of pastor. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What a thought. The chief shepherd is coming back. The Lord Jesus is going to return. And that means every day in the ministry is a God-given opportunity to live for the final day. Every day has purpose. For Christ is coming again. The chief shepherd is coming again. And at the same time, that means every day has a remarkable accountability. The church, listen to me here, The church belongs to Jesus, not to any pastor. The church belongs to Jesus. Christ is the chief shepherd. And elders are simply under-shepherds, serving in His name. The church belongs to Jesus. So every Lord's Day morning, I like to walk around outside when I pray. I haven't been able to do that yet here because it's been incredibly cold. Y'all didn't tell me it was going to be cold when I moved here. (laughs) I like to walk around before the service and I pray pretty much the same way each Lord's Day, kind of like this. Lord Jesus, these are your people. I'm responsible to feed them with your word. So for your glory, please bless your church today. Those pronouns are purposeful. That mindset is what ought to mark each pastor's labor. One day, every pastor, regardless of his role in the life of a church, whether he serves as a lay elder or whether he serves as a staff pastor, every pastor will stand before Jesus Christ, the one who crushed death and holds the gates of Hades and heaven in his hand. Every pastor will stand before Jesus and with resurrection glory, he will look at them and say, what did you do with my people? How did you feed them? What did you feed them with? Where did you lead them? He's the chief shepherd. A pastor is an under-shepherd. Now that's a weighty accountability, to be sure. But it's also matched by this glorious promise. Faithfulness brings Christ's reward. Look at the end of the verse. You will receive The unfading crown of glory, Peter says. In Peter's day, if you were a a military or an athletic hero, they would give you this garland, this crown uh, made out of garland, made out of leaves, and and that that garland symbolized your accomplishment, whatever you did that was significant. But those leaves would wilt, and they would die, and they would fall off, and then you just got this twisty thing of twigs. (laughs) But that's not the crown that Christ bestows on his servants. The crown that Christ bestows is unfading, Peter says. When all the earthly accolades fade, when all the hardships are over, this promise remains. It's the promise of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. And that promise, friends, is what encourages a pastor to continue shepherding. It's what encourages a Christian to continue walking by faith. Receive the unfading crown of glory. It is for Christ's sake that we shepherd his church. And in doing so, we look forward to Christ's commendation. That brings us to the last reminder, number five. This connects with the entire church from verse five. Healthy churches prioritize humility. Healthy churches, from the elders down to the members, prioritize humility. In verse 5, Peter shifts to address everyone in the church. Look again at what he writes. Verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's a good bit of discussion on the identity of you who are younger in verse 5. Is Peter referring literally to those who are younger? Is he referring to those who are young in their faith? Is he using younger as just the opposite of elder in verse 1 so that the point has nothing to do with age at all but just everyone in the church? There's a good bit of discussion. I lean toward saying that the younger are those who are young in their faith. And Peter is reminding them to be subject to the elders. I remember being a new Christian and I was convinced that I knew everything. I knew nothing. And so that need for humility, that's how I take those who are younger in verse 5. But it's the next phrase in verse 5 that gets most of my attention. I hope it gets your attention. Look at the next phrase. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. I love the, the image of humility as a church's clothing. It's our wardrobe. It's what we put on every day. You would never go out of your house without being adequately clothed, and you should never walk into church without being adequately clothed with humility. We all need this virtue. Humility is like a congregation's wardrobe. We prefer one another. We serve one another. We count the interests of others as more important than our own. From the elders to the members, humility is what keeps a church walking together in unity. Humility is what keeps an elder from domineering over the flock. It's what keeps him in proper submission to the Lord. And humility is what keeps the congregation ready to follow its leaders in glad-hearted ways. And just like verse 4, the pursuit of humility comes with a promise. Notice the end of the verse, the end of verse 5. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's a few things that the Bible says God actively opposes. Pride is near the top of that list. Pride brings God's opposition. So, I don't know about you, but I want more grace. I want more grace in my life. I want more grace in our church. And in God's sovereignty, how do we stand in the line to receive that grace? Humility. Humility. Pride brings God's opposition. Humility is a means of grace. How can we prioritize humility? As a church. Well, that's an entire sermon. But here's just a couple of ways that we can prioritize humility. First and foremost, pray. I I do not mean that as a throwaway application. I am not trying to sound spiritual. Seriously and legitimately, pray. Pray. That's how we can prioritize humility. Pray regularly for the elders, for our deacons, for the members, for our volunteers. Pray that we would consider each other as more important than ourselves. Philippians 2.3. Wouldn't that be great to just have that verse plastered over the door of the church? Count others as more important than yourself. That's how you come to church, with humility. So pray Pray that God would make us a humble church. Along with prayer, we can follow the instruction of James chapter 1, verse 19. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's the real world recipe for humility. What's a humble person look like? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. We want to hear more from others before we hear from ourselves quick to listen, slow to speak. And we're slow to become angry. That's just another way of saying we extend charity to one another. We believe the best about each other and not assume the worst. That's humility in everyday life. So pray and be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's just scratching the surface for how we can prioritize humility as a church but it's where we can start to put ourselves in the path of grace. It's been a lot to take in this morning. Normally, you get a three-point sermon, you get a five-point sermon. It's been a lot to take in. We've covered a good amount of ground. But as I said at the outset, this is an important day. It's an important day. As we close, I want to give you one final principle Just one final principle that can help you and help us embrace what lies ahead in our ministry as a church. This principle goes all the way back to the Reformation, so it's over 500 years old, but it's a principle that can give us so much wisdom for the everyday life of the church. The principle is this, biblically committed churches are always striving to become more biblical. Let me repeat that. Biblically committed churches are always striving to become more biblical. In other words, the work of having Scripture define what we do and how we do it, that work is never over. It's a continual process. It's a continual process that involves change, that sometimes brings growing pains, That requires us to be humble and examine where are we going? What are we doing? And why are we doing it that way? But still, all of those things are pursued because we want to be more biblical. We want to be more committed, more faithful to the Scriptures. Early in the process of God calling us to Fisherville, I was having a conversation with someone about this church. And this person described this church in this way. Quote, the word of God is the authority there. Do you know that's how your church was described? Our church now? Do you know how that's, this, that's how this church was described? The word of God is the authority there. Friends, that is very high commendation. And it was right then. This was back in... July? It was right then that I knew we could both carry on and advance the good work that was being done at this church if it was God's will. Fisherville, by God's grace, is a biblically committed church. And that means, brothers and sisters, we should be engaged and excited to carry on this work of becoming even more biblical in how we minister together. Biblically committed churches are always striving to become more biblical because that's how God is glorified in our midst. So praise God for the gift of His Word. Amen? Amen. Praise God for the Lord Jesus, the chief shepherd of the church. And praise God for His grace to live and minister together from the elders down to each and every member. May God make us faithful, friends. And may He be pleased to use us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have sought to understand Your Word today in a way that helps us to apply it. To apply it not just individually, but to apply it as a church family, as a whole. We pray, Lord, that You would take our time today and that You would bless it and cause it to bear fruit in the life of this church.